0: Okay, well that is so important because to be a a true leader, you have to be engaged in your leadership skills. Because everything you're going to do, doesn't matter where you're going to be, what you're going to do, what your career path is, it's always about relationships and trust. It's always about your circle of influence, your friendships. Because regardless of where you're going, what you're doing, it always resonates to, Oh my goodness, these are my friends. These are people I know. These are people from my hometown. So it is always worth the investment to do that. So I'm going to talk a lot about that as I go through some of the things that we've been able to do. But no matter what, always keep in mind, wherever you are in school, whatever activity, church, whatever, it's always about your relationships and the trust factor. You know, I'm just so blessed I had the opportunity uh, to serve in this capacity. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about how I got here. Uh, because, again, it always builds on the leadership that what you all are doing and what you're thinking about in your personal development plans. And you need to be thinking about that right now. Uh, I told a group yesterday, they said, well, how did you first get involved? Well, actually, I was a page at the House of Representatives a long time ago. <laughs> But I loved it. I love the laws coming together. I love seeing how people worked. Uh the things that happened at the legislature. Um I enjoyed coming back and I just thought you know I think that's really what I want to do. I want to go and become a lawyer. Um so I did go to OMS, Went to OMS Law School. Um and I'll tell you my same friends from OMS undergraduate and law school are still my same friends. Tony Geiger. Tony Geiger is over constituent outreach. Um, and we have been long time friends, but long time friends enough that we actually went to all this together. We did Now we can't say how long, Tony, right maybe' mm-hmm. given away how old we are uh, but but again always goes back to again the friends and the people along the way. Um, Judge Heron is here. You all need to if you haven't had time to spend some quality time with Judge Herring. What an amazing friend. He's been such a mentor to me um, and a champion for all that I've done. I couldn't be doing what I'm doing if it hadn't been for him. He's one of the first people that said, you need to do this. You know, and he believed in me. And I'm always um, grateful for that. Again, back to the people that you know and that you trust. So, um, incredible opportunity. So, I went to Ole Miss. I actually then interned at the Attorney General's office. So here's my plug. Just like Ms. Carl said. Um a plug. <laughs> we have an amazing internship program. We enjoy it. It's a succession plan. We love to have you all there. We love for you to stay. Like I said, Victoria's there and again, it, we just I think it's incredible to help mold uh, the next generation of leaders. Um, again, it's so significant and we believe in doing that. we had over 80 applicants for the summer already. So um, we do two sessions and so I'll start to encourage y'all to take a quick look. Um, we have, we're about to open up an Oxford office. Um, so that will start in April, so we'll probably do some interns in Oxford as well. And then we have one on the coast. So uh, again, we, we just really are invested, everybody in the office, uh, again, to build and you all as leaders. Um, So I said, even here, take the time you should know each other, know everything about each other, stay in touch, because you never know we're going to see each other again. And it's really significant to do that. Um, Because, again, had I not had that, I would not have been able to do um, what I've been so fortunate to do throughout my career. Um, People say, did you always plan to become the Attorney General? I did not. (laughs) God kind of puts you where you're supposed to be at the right time at the right place. Um, But I interned at the AG's office. They asked me to stay. My first five years of practice were there, and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. It was great. Now, back then, we didn't have about 65 lawyers. I think I made the fifth one when I got there. And I will go ahead and tell y'all. I started practicing in 1985. And so it's a little daunting to say that. So I guess Tony and I were 10 when we graduated from Ole Miss. <laughs> That's what I'm going to keep telling ourselves, right, Tony? Um, yes but again what uh, an experience for me and i knew at that point i loved it um, but because you make relationships and the friendships uh they have been asked to go to the house representatives and serve as council for ways and means and i did that for a number of years and then went into private practice and again expanding your bandwidth every time you're in a different circle of influence i encourage you to keep doing that. add to your circle um, again not that you need anything but it really rewards you the more people that you know and you have relationships with so when governor barber came in in 2004 what a tremendous leader for he, he was for us in the state of mississippi i got the call from governor barber and his chief of staff his chief of staff happened to be my chairman at ways and means <laughs> like you have to come back we know you're a public servant at heart just please come back well i don't even think i asked where I said absolutely I'm happy to come and be back into the public service arena. Um, they had me working at the Department of Employment Security. It's important as I speak to all of you about workforce, the tapestry of the state, where we're going, what, our, what does our business look like, what, it, what does our future look like, gave me great grounding to be there as the deputy over all of external affairs. Again, recruiting our businesses, getting our workforce again, very positive and impactful opportunity for me. And Governor Barber said, I would like for you to serve as the executive director of the state personnel board. So that's like being the HR director for all of state government. So all of a sudden I had 32,000 employees. And so thinking about, okay, what are we going to implement? And I said, somebody said, how do you um, really kind of summarize what you do in each one of those leadership roles? It's always about being a change agent. If you're always doing the same thing that you did the day before last month last week then you just need to stop you need to be proactive and think about how you're doing moving forward um, and trying to have that real vision and be very strategic about all of your next steps so we changed up a lot of things things were new and different we would never done before we did telephonic hearings for administrative issues Um, so we were able to hear cases very quickly and sometimes do seven and eight days so really looking to bring it to a new um, level well, then the treasurer's position opened up. So in part of my practice at the AG's office uh, in private, I had been uh, capable of doing bond work and finance corporate type of works. And so the treasurer's job opened. Um, Governor Barber, all of my friends from all those different areas said, you should absolutely run it. Well, they gave me absolutely out in the real world, no chance of winning, right? <laughs> but because it goes back to hard work, great ethics as, as leaders as all of you are to also then you're going to call on that circle of influence. Who did I know all across the state? who did I met in that circle of influence to get to this point? Um and that was significant to me because people, friends all across the state really helped me move into the next level. That's what it goes back when I saw Judge Heron and we sat down at the party and discussed um what about this run? And he's the one that said you can do this. You can do this and um, and then it began to grow and so again having that backing and that support I was so honored to serve as a state treasurer for two terms and then um so just so you know about the treasurer's office just kind of an idea so it's like running all of the, the money for all of the state it's about a 27 billion dollar a year transactional office so my, most people have no idea that that much money flows through your treasurer's office again always being involved um, with my great friends like Judge Heron and kept going and it got to the next step and it was like okay what about now should we run for the Attorney General's position well again the support uh, was incredible (coughs) Judge Heron uh, was absolutely out there um, (coughs) such a champion for me and helping me across the state Um, and so then to get to, to serve here I'm like I'm so humbled every time I walk in the door and so I have an amazing team I get to work with. The things we do are significant. Um, about 300 folks that work at the AG's office, about 130 lawyers, about 80 investigators. We have nurses on staff. We have counselors. We have victims' advocates. Because we just don't do just cases. So we really have expanded our office into very different areas that we need to be the drivers on. So, I'm not only charged with being the chief um, legal officer for the state, I'm also charged with being the chief law enforcement officer. So, that is very um, impactful, and we've really changed our model in that regard. So, I've got all those folks. So, we do we represent every state uh, agency, board, and commission. I represent all the different officials um, in every capacity. Uh, every, we have civil litigation. So, again, always representing when the state gets sued. Um, We do training. We do all the law enforcement training, the prosecutor training. It's important to have a great strong partnership with our prosecutors and DAs across the uh, state. Um, We have a victim's uh, advocates division because everybody, we all know a victim. We all know somebody that's been through that process and so we felt like it's important for us to step up into that area. Consumer, um, you know, I'm sure you all get some Robotex, right? If you don't, I need to know what system you have on your you phone, right? Because <laughs> we're charged with trying to get those robocalls, those robo texts uh, off um, so that everybody's not completely annoyed with when you get 20 and 30 a day. So things that you probably don't think about that we do all the way, you know, field back along those lines. But um, as Mr. Carlswell said, we also do some things that are very different. Human trafficking. Uh, human trafficking is real. I would love to tell you that it's not in our state, um, but that would not be true. Every direction you can think of in our state, we have it. But we're fighting it. Uh, We have an amazing team um, and they have, now we train other people. We've certified over 400 law enforcement officers to be certified in human trafficking. Uh, We've now done multi jurisdictional operations about 55 in the last few years um, all across our state. And We've arrested about 85 of those bad actors, and we rescued over 300 folks here in Mississippi, including um, under 20, right around 20 minors. The last operation we did, um, we were able to rescue um, I think nine young women and three babies, two babies and a toddler. So it's alarming when you think about that's that going on. Now, you may or may not know this, but after the uh, over 50 percent of those trafficked. Are trafficked by a family member or somebody that they loved and trusted. So think about next time you see something that says missing teenage girl or something like that. They're missing and sometimes we never find them and then we might find them when we're doing an operation. Um, and that's really scary. They are trafficked for quick cash and drugs and um, every time we do a takedown we're almost always going to find um, the, a gun, some weapons, and, and drugs. These young women primarily have substance abuse trouble because of what they do is so horrific, they have to give them drugs to get through that because, again, time and time again, they're being utilized. So it, that's really important to us, and that's been a big part of um, making a difference. Cyber, you all know, is an incredible world. So trying to police this internet superhighway that's going on, and there are so many bad actors out there in the cyber world. Um, so we have. Amazing team and our partners trying to do just that. Um, we, we, we run the internet crimes against children, so child exploitation, unfortunately, is prevalent. Um, you think about TV shows where you see all the monitors going? We're doing that. We're tracking all these predators. Um, we created a special victims unit. I do personally like that show, though, and, <laughs> uh, because there are so many victims, whether they are elderly victims, our children victims, our domestic violence. Um, It's just we really needed to hone in and make a difference there. And uh, (coughs) then back to the drugs. We we are we're doing we're very engaged with our law enforcement. We're running the one pill can kill. I've been on some of the campuses already Um, again because the counterfeit drugs look exactly like real drugs. And um, you you can just a few granules look like salt or sugar can kill you. Um, And it's alarming to think that we lost well. We don't have the numbers until March 1st for this past year of how many Mississippians we lost but the year before we lost 237 Mississippians to fentanyl overdose now that's a lot and I always do this analogy to kind of make you think about it I suspect our number is going to be about the same March the first but if we were all sitting here in this meeting and we look up in a plane goes down right over here what we all do we all jump up we go look we go oh my goodness what happened how could we have saved these lives? You know, what, what was the error that was committed here? Was it pilot error? Was it you know weather? We, we'd all be in an uproar. i would be on the front page of all the news. Unfortunately, not just in Mississippi but across our country, but we've come become pretty complacent about that. Uh, well, we can't do that. We have to stand up. So, hence why I'm working so hard with our one pill can kill initiative to get out there and the awareness because. On all of these issues, like the human trafficking is called Be the Solution, this is the one pill can kill. Knowledge is powerful, right? But not only if you share it. So, as great leaders, you have to be ready to do that. When you accept the leadership role, you have to be the one that drives the knowledge, the power to get it out there and provide it to other people. So, that's why as we worked with that, um, it's been significant. We created a fentanyl strike force with law enforcement mm-hmm. partners. Just so we can go after these bad actors. Our first big operation, we arrested 13 of them. So, a lot of different things that we're doing in this office. Um, I want to speak to one about the Dobbs case a little bit. Um, just because I I want you all to have some questions, but I want to kind of tell you what happened a little bit. So again, that case was at the Fifth Circuit. Um, when I first got into office, It had already been passed and denied and it was at the Fifth Circuit. Um, I came in and I looked over my cases and I was like, okay, what are the ones we're going to appeal? What are we going to file cert for the United States Supreme Court? Which ones are we going to dismiss? Well, there was never a question. That was the thing to do. Absolutely. We're going to file the Fifth Circuit. I mean, from the Fifth Circuit to the United States Supreme Court. We did. It sat there. The way they do it on Fridays know this on Fridays you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait and the cases come down that the United States Supreme Court is going to take up. We we'll would never take up our case, right? <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, we're never going to get taken up. Um and so it kind of percolated along there and in the meantime, um I had appointed a Solicitor General when I first came into office. Uh, she is now sitting on the bench of the federal uh, southern district. So first, she's the first female um, in the southern district. So Christy Johnson is down there. I appoint a new um, solicitor general, brilliant young man, comes from D.C., via California. Uh, Never been in the state of Mississippi. I said, look, if you come here, you'll love it. We are all so nice down here and (laughs) friendly, and we eat real well. Um, So he took me my word, and he did come, And named Scott Stewart. So again, he's there. He's only been there two months. We wait, we wait. Here's a funny story, um, I'm meeting with my Republican colleagues, and, and so we meet a lot at Republican AGs to talk about our conservative cases, our letters we're going to file, what we're going to file together in the way of lawsuits. And I'm the first Republican AG in 150 years. So do I, did I have a lot of things I needed to untangle from a policy perspective? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but we met we we meet quarterly we talk about cases and so forth um i'm flying home on a monday after meeting with them i'm in the airport um i get a call from my chief of staff and she goes they took up the jobs case i said on a monday are you kidding me <laughs> well note to self always look good in the airport right because i look up at my face it's all over every tv and it's, you know how those they have them up in the airport? i'm like oh my word Thank goodness, I was looking good that day, because you just, part of a leader is part of your presentation. Um, Anyway, very quickly, it came in. By the time I got home, we um, organized, we had an entire strategic plan. Now, there's never been a case worked like this before. And in that plan, we had a media plan. Uh, So we had our policy plan, we had our briefing, we had our amicus plan. Um, Again, what would we do with outreach? Because we never had this opportunity in you know 50 years so we worked that plan every single day everybody that was involved with us worked that plan um, and then we said you know what we're going to write our own brief and we're going to argue our own case oh my goodness people are like you can't do that you're just the attorney general of the state of mississippi i said whoa whoa, whoa. watch us and second <laughs> of all how brilliant people yes. of course we're going to do it And we did and so but we worked it that brief was revised over 50 times that is not usual right (laughs) like we have peer-to-peer review Um, you might have that go through your circle of the peers Um, we went through it 50 times with a huge magnitude of people reviewing uh, as Scott wrote it Um, and then people said you can't ask the hard question in your brief said absolutely we're going to they can only say no But no one has ever posted that up. No one has ever said, overturn Roe v. Wade. All the other cases, just whatever that law was, that's the only thing they argued, whether it was a 15-week, six-week, whatever, only that argument had ever been made, never the big question. I said, yep, put it up there, front and center, we're going to ask the question. So we worked that plan, we worked it. um, We got the call that they actually finally set The uh, hearing date on December the 1st, December the 1st, monumental day, Um, we go up, we argue. There are thousands of people there. Um, Again, this shows the conservative movement, the values that really rose to the occasion on that day. Um, We had 30-something speakers. Now, we had Republicans, Democrats. We had faith-based. We had doctors, nurses, mothers. We had people that were not conservative. We had atheists. They all spoke about the dignity of life and protecting the sanctity of life right there on the steps in front of the Supreme Court. Now, you know, if you look back historically, it's usually three to one the other direction, right? The liberals have a, you know lots of people doing all kinds of stuff. We'd have slimmer crowds. This time, we were the ones that had buses coming in. It was exciting to think that people across the country came in because this was at risk. This was a conservative policy value that needed to be addressed, and we argued it should be returned to the states, and no one had done that. So very excited to come out and see thousands of people They closed the street. People spilled over into the Capitol grounds because there were so many conservatives there supporting the Mississippi Dobbs case. So exciting. So then you, know, you all know what goes on. We continue our strategic plan, part two. Again, you have to work on it. You have to get out there. You have to talk about it. We had 76 amicus briefs, which are friends of the court briefs written to support us. And those partners continuing to work, continuing to make a difference and put it out there. And then what happened? The most unbelievable, tragic thing, a leak. A leak from the United States Supreme Court, who should have never had that happen. And how did it to this day? You know, you just think about that institution to leak something like that. You know, we looked at it immediately, of course, um, and I was very pleased. I was like, "Please don't let it change," because for all of us, it was a very well conservative opinion put out there. But it was hard for that next six weeks to wait on the real answer, which we all know was great. But again. It showed Mississippi was willing to stand up in a very strong way for conservative values and that we were not afraid to jump into the arena that is important to all Mississippians. And so I tell people too, you know, it it, it was returned to the states. Every state's been different. We've seen the democracy that's happened in every state. Everybody's done something in their own particular way, which is exactly what it should have been. States always had that opportunity. and just. Quickly, that propelled us to do a lot of things that were not happening in the state and that weren't being driven by the Attorney General's office. Like, jumping into postpartum for women to allow that. Jumping into adoption credits. Jumping into streamlining the adoption process here in the state of Mississippi. We got ten different pieces of legislation passed last year. We call it the Empowerment Project. To empower women and to protect children. Um, Nobody was talking about that. But now we are. Now we're passing legislation. We're really trying to help. We Got a new program called MAMA. And um, that is uh, Mississippi Access to Maternal Assistance. It's on, it's, I got, it's on my phone. You can get an app, a website. Um, no money, no new dollars, but different places across our state. You can say, let's see, in Jackson, Mississippi, we can look up into the MAMA. And this young mother might need diapers, or she might get a job. It caused us to take it to a different level of leadership this is what I'm trying to tell you. Always now thinking. So we knew that was the end result of our case. Well, what were we going to do next? What was our strategic plan? And it became the empowerment project. Um, and it's wildly successful. we probably got about 10 more pieces of legislation over there right now that we're working on. We propelled into doing things differently with our uh, child protective services because right now we have about 4,000 children that are wards of the state. We've got to get them into forever homes quicker. And we got a foster parents' bill of rights passed last year. You don't even think about that, right? But these foster parents need to know what they can do. What's their hip law How do they protect the children that they brought in? Uh, so, again, th- those are the leadership roles. When you take them on, on, you have to be embracing those and think about what are the next steps you know, always there's a some a consequence or an exciting opportunity, but to look for it. Um, and so again, i give you that example to let you know that that's significant to being in your leadership roles in whatever you do. Um, so again, that's, we do a lot of that at the office, but um, I want to talk to you, and I'm always over my time, so I want to give you all some time to ask questions. Um, some of the things I've learned about being a leader through my tenure of practicing law which has now been about 38 years Uh, again I'll always tell you look for a mentor look for a champion because um, they're always there and gracious to help you certainly Judge Herring was when I first started practicing law um, there weren't many women not at all we could all sit at this table and this would probably be too big for us We only had about 12 of us that we got together on a regular basis but um, the mentor for us was Lieutenant Governor Evelyn Gandy. Now there have only been four women in 200 years to ever hold statewide office. That's not many. 200 years. Four of us. I would <coughs> the third one. Amy Tuck, uh, Cindy Had Smith and myself and then, of course Governor Gandy. She was the real trailblazer uh, she told us to be compassionate, to act and think as leaders, so I tell you all that, she was a great learning um, teacher for all of us, which just spilled over into our leadership because all of us have done a number of different things, but we've all been in leadership capacities, and to have that initial grounding was so significant, I mean, she was the first. Um, treasurer she was the first insurance commissioner Um, she was a a special assistant attorney she was an assistant attorney general she was the lieutenant governor and she lost her bid for governor and so again that was so impactful for us to learn from her Um, and just kind of some quick examples of how she challenged all of us right I mean she expected us to do better to be out of the communities to be that leader to stand up uh, to be compassionate for everyone Um, not just to be uh, silo driven on whatever the issue is, to really think broader on how you can impact. Because as you move into these leadership roles, that is the expectation. Everybody's looking at you. And so it's exciting. Be ready to move into it. Embrace it. Think about, again, your circle of influence and and how you have the opportunity to meet people, learn things, uh, and go different places. Um, so one day, we're just like this sitting around the table, and she said, you know, there's a move across the country to have women in the profession committees in the state bar. We all absolutely agree, yes. Well, she looked at me, and she said, Lynn, you need to make the presentation. <laughs> you don't, you just say, yes, ma'am, okay. Um, and so I did. And I went over and I said, you know, to the group of bar commissioners, I said, you know, we'd like to have a women in the profession committee of the state bar. Very different dynamic than the group I just left, we know, with all 12 women. Um, And they said to me, and this is the part about always being gracious um, and whatever you do, they said, okay, you can do it. Can you get all those women things done in one year? Um, I probably have piercings in my tongue. And I said, yes, we'll try. We'll try. Uh, I chaired the committee for the State Bar for the first three years. And in that time, um, I went back and said, can we have it as a standing committee? They allowed it to become a standing committee. And then I said, can we have a continuing legal education for women attorneys? And they said, good luck. Yes, see what you can do in one year. Um, I chaired it the first year. I chaired it the 25th year. I spoke at the 30th, and I just spoke at the 32nd one here a couple of months ago. Um, So again, having that vision is so important. She had it, she gave it to us, and now um, in the bar is a section of the bar for women. Not just a ad hoc committee, standing committee, it's now a section of the bar. So think big. As leaders, you are definitely challenged to think big. Think about how you can do that in such an important way. It's a lot of things that she taught us, things I have been able to learn over my tenure and from a leadership perspective, again, your circle of influence is always about teamwork, partnerships, being there with one another. Um, and so you should always embrace the teamwork, right? Now, I'm a little competitive, right? <laughs> you can't run for a statewide office and not have a little bit of that competitiveness, right? It's really important to do that. Um, however, and look, I tell all my team members, members. You've got to be a little on the edge, you know. But never be competitive where it hurts one another, right? Be, be competitive on the drive, on the emotion, on the issue, but not against each other, right? Be supportive of one another. Uh, that's key, is to having that teamwork, that, that competitiveness, where you are actually there helping each other and supporting one another. Um, and as you collaborate, that's when powerful things happen. Right? I think about our little women in the profession committee and I think about becoming a section of the bar now, having the CLE, all the things we were able to accomplish just because we were a small little team and we sat there and we said we're going to think really on a, a huge scale. Um, and so as you collaborate, that's when you again, you really become that team leader too. And on those teams be the one that says hey let's think about doing this or let's look at it from a different perspective. Um, again, really important, even when you're on, on the team, to be the one that's willing to be in that leadership capacity on the team. Um, it, it, again, is always so, so important. As I can tell you, silos don't work. Working together makes a tremendous difference. So do collaborate. And then you need to, in those teams, and as you craft even your own individual development plan, you need to absolutely be proactive. Be thinking about, all right as this team or individually. What am I going to do this year? What's my goal for three years down the road? Five years? Where do I see myself in ten years? And you need to live it. You need to change it as the flexibility happens, things happen in your career path, your schooling. Be ready to make that adjustment because again you've been given an opportunity. Real leaders look for those opportunities. Don't shy away. If you get them, jump in, right? Be excited about them. Are they going to be easy? No! <laughs> But as leaders, you've got to have that, oh, I'm in. I'm really going to be participating in this. I'm going to see this from a different perspective. I'm going to talk to my circle influence about this. So leaders will absolutely do that. Um, and, And as you're doing that, you are driving for solutions. You know, in our office and everything I've ever done with teams, we always talk about that people go, oh, we can't do that. Those are challenges. It'll never happen. No, no, no. We view those as opportunities. And you should, too, when you see some of those hard things come up, those heavy lifts, go, no, we can do this. We can make the difference and make it happen. Now, here's something I want to talk to you about very um, personally about, too, as leaders. First of all, as leaders in all your roles, everybody's looking at you. You just need to know that. You have been elevated. I mean, to be in this group, oh, my goodness, that is so exciting. That is so special to think that you were selected to be in here and to have this camaraderie, this team opportunity. So again, don't take it lightly. Enjoy every moment you get together and you get to soak in great speakers, make new relationships, because it is significant. But as leaders, you do have to think about your presentation, all right? How many hours you get in a day? 24? I want 48. <laughs> I can hardly get anything done. But we really only have 24 hours, right y'all? And so in your own self-reflection you have to go, what can I do in 24 hours? What are my goals? I know what I'm anticipating doing. I know what I've got going on in my schoolwork. I know what my activities. But it's your 24 hours and you get to make every single decision. I mean yes, are there professors? Are there parents? Are there other people? Yes but you really are the driver. And so from the time you get up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night, it's your presentation. Everything you do is your presentation. And as a leader, you have to recognize that and be ready to stay in that role for everything that you do. So I think about even, even if you're just in class or you might be at an activity, take the time to speak to somebody, right? You may be the only to- person that's speaks out to them and says, hey, how are you doing? Again, true leaders want to be invested in others. You should always do that. Anybody you're involved with, classes, different teams, get to know them, get to know something about their family. That creates a very special bond that will carry you well into your life. Um, So do that. Um, I will tell you as well that, again, all those are your actions, including your presentation. Your presentation. Look. Leaders are going to shake your hand, look you in the eye, talk to you, and you need to do that. Look, I'm practicing with my 10-year-old grandson. Let's work on the handshake here, but let's, let's talk about it. Um, again, think about the people you meet. That's why I made everybody go around the room. I, I want to hear you. I want you to have that eye contact. I want you to be willing to stand up, because you're never going to see a, a leader that's sitting over here in the corner, right? The leaders are out here talking. They're, they're making it happen. Um, so your entire presentation is truly the top opportunity you get to showcase who you are. Now, and it goes down to everything you even look like and how you, you look the first time you meet them. You know, people say, oh, you can't judge a book by its cover. Absolutely, right? People judge you the first time they meet you. There's no second, let me go to chapter two, see how this person is, or five. No, 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 no. <laughs> so be ready. Um, because as a leader you're always going to be in your role. Um, But with that part two comes the leadership role from an electronic presentation. Your digital um, presentation is every bit as important. I I know you all are in a great situation, but I'll always tell you to be mindful. Anything that might remotely, don't hit send, don't put that picture (laughs) up, don't engage in that text, because as employers, you know the first thing we do? We go look at your social media. We do that. <laughs> we, that tells us a whole lot about you. And I can tell you over time, there are a lot of people I did not hire. Like, if you're that person that's um, on your mission trip or the person that is funneling beer. Who do you think I hired? <laughs> because that speaks to who you are. It speaks to your heart. It speaks to what you believe in. And as conservative leaders, you have to always be mindful of that. Um, again, here's some other things as, as outstanding leaders you have to think about now in your entire life. Uh, great leaders always give of themselves, they're always willing to do that. Like, first and foremost, taking the time to write a note to people you see, send a, a nice text, it was great to meet you, it was a pleasure at email. Are those time consuming? Absolutely. Take the time to have coffee with somebody. meet them for a Diet Coke, um, whatever the case might be. Invest in those relationships because, again, that's really what it's all about. We're going back full circle now, see? Mm-hmm. So invest in your relationships like that. Take the time. Uh, I will tell you, even when we interview and um, we have interns or people that are, you know, have been on an internship program that leave, the ones that send the personal letters, they just stand out. Like, wow, you know, it's really remarkable. Uh, so, I encourage you to do that. Now, giving of yourself means a lot more, too. And unfortunately, I said, you've got 24 hours. Now, we talked about how you dress, how you act electronically, <laughs> what you're going to do with your time. Well, here's one more to put on your category after you stay in touch with everybody. Real leaders always give themselves in different ways. As a leader, you're compassionate about whatever is important on your heart. It could be um, your church. You could be involved in groups there. It could be charitable organizations that you want to give up your time to be invested in. Um, I I have a couple organizations that I have worked with over the years, and I will continue to do that. Um, You should always give back. Always. You know, if I looked at resumes and it said, oh, great grades, this, that, and the other, If there's no community involvement, there's no giving part, you're not a great leader. Great leaders will always have that part of their identity of who they are um, from giving back. So now, you got no free time, right? You got class, (laughs) basically do all these different things, but true leaders will do that. I'll tell you, people come to my office and I write them notes back. Thank you for coming by, it's great to see you, appreciate the issue. I, I write when different groups graduate from the Highway Patrol School are different things. And I'll go around the state and they'll go, I've got your letter framed. Or, you know, it's just the little stuff. It adds up to the bigger part of who you are as a leader. Now, as leaders, you're going to be challenged, right? You're going to be challenged. Sometimes people don't want you to be successful. They see you rising. And they become, you know, pulling back. Even some of your friends are going to go, no, no, I want you to stay back here with us. Well, that's hard. You need to just be ready to keep moving. Goes back to being, again, gracious and kind and compassionate. But be ready to step up to go into that next level. And understand you're going to take some of those challenges. But again, you just have to keep going. I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the positive thing. And a leader will always move in that regard. You're going to be challenged on so many things. Here, come do this. Make this choice. Go down this pathway. Don't do it. Think about it before you do it. Think long and hard, because you can't get those actions back. So be ready to say, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not going to do that. Um, And never worry about it. Because what happens is when, when those people approach you and they try to pull you this way and that way, that's not who you are. I know who you are, you wouldn't be at this table right now if you aren't outstanding stellar leaders who are ready to keep going and moving in your your different career paths, schooling and where you're going next and everything. And so you just have to stay true to who you are, always. Um, when I first run, and here's kind of a funny story, when I first started running, Judge Aaron started to tell these fun stories, but um, and he, I would come back and relate to him some of them and they'd say, people would say, you know what, uh, I think you'd be a good treasurer, but you really can't wear dangly earrings, right? And, you know, they're never gonna elect anybody wears you know, a woman wears earrings and jewelry and that kind of stuff. And again, I would bite my tongue and say, Thank you so much. I appreciate your input. <laughs> and um, different things, like, oh you can't wear bright colors and you know, all those don't wear lipstick. And I'm like, Okay, we're in twenty eleven, but okay. Um, And so I was always gracious again and say I really appreciate you know your advice on that but here's what I'll tell all of you. Don't change who you are. Don't ever change who you are. Stay true to your core values, your principles, and don't jeopardize your integrity for anyone. Again, it's your character, it's your reputation, and you worked very very hard to get it there. And you're going to continue to always enhance your character and your reputation. But remember, your integrity is always on the line as a leader. And just be ready to uphold it. So those are some of my leadership tips that I have been able to uh, garner from different great leaders, including Judge Heron through the years. And um, I just think it's important to share that with you all and that you again maybe have some good takeaways from that.